0: Welcome to Ethos Church. Uh, If we haven't met yet, as Josh just said, my name is Gentry. And yeah, I'm excited to be speaking with you guys this morning. Give me a second to kind of get things pulled together here. Um, So over the last four weeks, uh, as you guys know, we've been jumping into this study of the book of 1 Samuel. Um, And this is week four this week which is actually really week two of actually getting into it. We did two weeks of setup and context, how to approach reading uh, a book like 1 Samuel set in the Old Testament uh, as a primarily narrative-driven book. And last week, Joshua started us off in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Um, And if you've been here over that time, you know that it's been a little different. It's not been... All of those weeks have not been a very normal, like a guy just gets up here and starts talking sermon kind of Sunday. Because um, our goal, Josh's goal and heart with a lot of what we're doing with First Samuel is helping to equip you guys, our church body, and giving tools for us to help study and encounter the word Monday through Saturday, not just hear from one guy with a microphone on Sunday mornings. And to help, All of us grow in maturity and discipleship. Um, And if you're looking for relief from that this week from me, I'm sorry, but uh, you're going to receive no such thing. Um, I'm going to continue to, as Josh has done over the last several weeks, play around with what we're doing here on Sunday mornings as we're trying to navigate and figure out how to best do the goal that I just kind of explained to you guys. So uh, thanks for bearing with us as we are kind of using you guys as guinea pigs and figuring out how to blend like teaching and like heady stuff along with still being uh, a pastoral ministry from what we're doing up here. So uh, yeah, we're going to be picking back up in First Samuel, uh, still in chapter one, and then we're going to get into chapter two today. So if you've got a Bible and want to go ahead and open up there, uh, please feel free to do so to uh, recap last week there's this guy named Elkanah and his family uh, who primarily uh, are made up of Panina one of his wife wives and her children and Hannah a second wife who has no children so Panina has children Hannah has none. And the story starts out with this yearly pilgrimage that the family makes to go to this place called Shiloh, where uh, the tabernacle or the temple of the Lord was set up, and they would go and make yearly sacrifices to the Lord there. And every year, whether intentionally or unintentionally, Peninnah would provoke Hannah by the fact that she has children and Hannah does not, which was a deep place of sorrow in Hannah's heart. Uh, And so on one of these trips, after their meal, Hannah gets up from the table and goes to the temple, and she there prays for a son, and this is where we spent the majority of our time last week, was looking at this first prayer of Hannah's uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And this is this intense prayer as she's sitting there, you know, you can imagine her just like rocking, maybe some tears flowing, and her mouth was moving, but she wasn't speaking out loud. And Eli, one of the priests at the temple, thinks that she's drunk and goes over and begins getting on to her, but she says, I, I'm not drunk, I'm just pouring out my soul before the Lord. And after hearing that, Eli blesses her, and the text says that her face was no longer sad. That's uh, chapter 1, verse 18. And we're going to be picking up right after that. Um, all right, so First Samuel chapter 1, verse 19 is where we're going to start right now. And they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went, out, went back to their house in Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. And the Lord remembered her, and in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. So boom, there you go. Prayer answered, we've got a son, things are looking good. Uh, Let's continue verse 21. And the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord a yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you, and wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his will. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli, and she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord, and for this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord." All right, so we're going to pause there. We're going to pick back up in a second. But so here's where we're going to start changing up some format. I'm going to open the floor back up to you guys. And I'm just going to ask, what do you guys notice so far in this story? Um, Do you notice any parallels from the story we looked at last week? What uh, from what we just read? Is there anything that stands out to you? And you can take a minute and think. But I'd love to hear from a couple of people, something that stands out there. Any takers? Cool. I guess not. I'm not going to force it. Uh, Hannah's willing to give everything she has to the Lord. Yeah, absolutely. Hannah's willing to give everything she has. We talked about last week in that prayer. She prays for a son because she so desperately wants one. But yet in that same prayer, she says, I will just give him right back to you. She's willing to give it all, 100%. So um, one thing, if you look at verse 21, the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord a yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. Have we seen that before in this story? Yeah, that's verse three. So we have here a parallel narrative block happening right next to each other. This cycle starts over as Elkanah and his family make this yearly pilgrimage again to the house of the Lord, and. There are some similarities and some differences between these two. Hannah wanted a baby, and now she has one as she's going uh, up on another year with her family. And they go to the temple in both of these and have this interaction with Eli. And then both of them, as we're about to see and jump into, kind of end or have a significant moment of Hannah praying to the Lord. Um, So both of one thing that I do wanna point out, and then we're gonna move on and really dive into the next part, is that both of these narrative blocks, what we looked at last week, what we're looking at this week, are centered around going to offer the yearly sacrifice. Uh, But what was more Clearly more pleasing to God, more than any burnt offering or animal sacrifice, was Hannah willing to give everything. Hannah pouring out her soul before God, as she said in the first prayer, almost this imagery of offering up a drink offering before God with her prayer. Um, And so we're going to look at another one of these prayers that Hannah is offering up as one of the, a sacrifice that's more pleasing to God even than necessarily these burnt animal sacrifices. So, we're going to read chapter 2 is where we're going to jump in. So, and Hannah prayed and said, pause, before we actually move any further, does anyone notice anything different? Literally just looking at the page of your Bible, does anyone notice anything different about verses 1 through 10? Yeah, there's a different formatting, depending on your translation, not all of them do this. If you're looking at King James or NASB, it might not actually do this, Um, but certain translations, NIV, ESV tend to. So um, let's talk about what's going on here. What genre, if you guys remember from weeks previous, I had to find where I was in my notes, I apologize. Um, If you remember from one of Josh's setup weeks, what is the literary style of 1 Samuel? Someone just call it out. Narrative. Was that, yeah, historical Historical narrative. Yeah, exactly, but you're wrong. Uh, Right here is actually, correct, yeah, poetry. We're hopping into some poetry here inserted in the narrative of 1 Samuel. Um, so yeah, Hannah's prayer here that we're about to spend some time and look at is actually more of a song. It is poetry. It's a psalm inserted here in the narrative. And one, the reason I stopped us is because we've been talking about narrative and we're going to continue to talk about narrative, but we've got poetry, which is a different genre that we interact with a little bit differently. And so seeing that here in this text, it merits us taking a moment and pausing before we venture forward and to contemplate and take some time and meditate on what we're about to read. And that's what we're going to do this morning. So now let's actually finish reading verses 1 through 10. Hannah prayed and said, my heart exults in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like you, Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. The Lord brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Um, I'm going to give you guys a few minutes to read back over that text. Take some time and read back over it. And then I'm going to call you back together and ask if anyone, What I'm just going to ask for some more responses from you guys. What stands out? What are you noticing in this song of Hannah's? So take a couple minutes, look over, and just sit with it, and we'll circle back in a sec. All right. Does anyone have anything they'd like to share? No pressure, but love to hear some uh, feedback from you guys. What is uh, catching your eye? Yeah, Will. It sounds- Mm. gotcha yeah sounds like it could be like a typical worship song that she was familiar with that yeah. she's reciting like the like, yeah it feels kind of random. yeah like, yeah definitely I feel like the as I was preparing you know reading through and I read the psalm you kind of end it in, in one, on one level you're like what the heck was that about Hannah like this seems weird with I mean I get the first lines like yeah praise God but then you lost me there a little bit. Sure. Yeah. I think the 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 very last line, uh, he will give Yahweh will judge the ends of the earth, he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. It's a cool foreshadowing because it's like they he doesn't have a king yet. Yeah. The fact that prior to this point in the scripture, every like little foreshadowing of a king that would come in the line of Judah or neighbor always happens within poetry. Mm-hmm. So it's every little line, and so it's cool that the first little teaser of a coming king in Samuel happens in a poetic line, and it's almost like God oh, was putting you in I'm like, hey, that's going to happen in this book. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They're definitely, uh, if you couldn't hear Cody, he was pointing out the fact that Hannah here, especially in the last line, is almost prophesying as she's praying about this coming king for the nation of Israel. There's no anointed king yet. We're still in the judges era, technically, when Hannah is praying this uh, prayer. And so this kind of foreshadowing, this looking forward to what's about to happen in this book in a lot of ways, yeah. That's awesome. Great. Thanks, Cody. Anything else? Yes, ma'am. Um, I was just going to say, there was a lot of comparison contrasting. Yeah. And it was kind of the antithesis or the opposite. Yes. Like, yeah. Where it kind of reminded me of Jesus' words, that the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. It flips mm-hmm. everything. So I kind of also thought of, like, the attitudes, how they're kind of, um, mm-hmm. and then the, you know, how it sounds opposite of what it should be. Yeah. dying and raising to life and this and that. There's was just a lot of that back and forth, but opposite of what our mm-hmm. relationship is. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that there's this flipping, this inversion of scenarios that, um, you know, the first several ones are just inversions. They're not necessarily connected to God. And then in the second half, yeah, it connects to God, that God is the one who has sovereignty over these things, and you're right, I think that it does reflect uh Jesus' ministry in the kingdom of Jesus. You guys are awesome. Uh anyone else have anything else? Yes. It's all about Baron and Warren Seven, but she has me children's or born. And it kind of contrasts like what the world's success doesn't isn't kind of the problem that completely does work as contracted by God's Yeah. I don't know why I'm up here. You guys all just need to get up here and just, you know, say these things. Um, Yeah, contrasting of the world's expectations or what we view as success uh, or to use the poems of prevailing versus uh, reality as we see it as followers of God. Yeah. Heck yeah. Thank you. Anything else? Anyone else? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like as people were answering I started to realize that it seems like a big theme of a lot of the examples she's getting have to do or indirectly have to do with wealth mm-hmm. of like status because I guess my understanding is that like even the stuff that's not explicitly money related like warriors I think were regarded as like high class and like people who couldn't bear children were not and so I was kind of thinking like, foreshadowing to, like, God looks at the heart of God and that Samuel talks about later in the book, but this might be a little bit of, like, speaking into that, maybe a little bit, I'm not sure. Yeah, no, I think you're definitely right, I think we're really beginning to key in from everyone's response on these themes that are running through and central to this poem that are going to run through and be central through lines through the book of Samuel, and honestly, huge biblical themes in general, um, even moving into New Testament like we talked about. Um, maybe one more if there's someone. Sam. I love how you see this, I think, a lot in the Bible, like she's she's got what she wanted from what we learned about last week. She mm-hmm. had, but a lot of this prayer is more about who God is, not what she wanted. And like, yeah. thank you for this kid. And he's so amazing. And all. Like she's feeling those things, but she's almost shifting her focus to what's really important, which is that this is just a small sliver of what God's going to do for his entire people for generations to come. Yeah. And I think that's, that just shows her heart and also the heart of this book that Samuel's trying to get us to like tune into, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. After verse one, as I hear you saying, Sam, after verse one, the focus shifts away from Hannah. This entire song, which starts as praise and thanksgiving to God for giving her a son... Only one out of 10 verses is actually from a personal, like me, my, I praise God. The rest is a much bigger picture being painted about the character of God and how he interacts with his people. Yeah, honestly, you guys rock. Um, I'm gonna now go through some things that I noticed, which you guys touched on all of them. So, uh, which is awesome. That's exactly what I wanted to happen. Um, because my hope here is to not give a sermon or a teaching necessarily, but to um, show you guys uh, and to help give you guys tools to continue to do this in your own study throughout the week. And the secret is you're already doing it. You guys know how to do this. And, you know, I feel like people, we can come and sit in a church service on Sunday and listen to a guy up here talking and be like, man, that guy's so smart or whatever, or whatever, or maybe I'm just, whatever. Um, (laughs) But like, I have no formal education. I have no degree in this. And you guys are knocking it out of the park. We're seeing the same things. And so I'm doing nothing fancy is what I want to tell you and that this is how the Spirit works in showing us uh, how to work through a text like this. So I'm going to share a few things, again, all of which we've already kind of touched on, but pull them together into one thing and how we can take the observations we've made and turn them into uh, or discern from them the voice of God speaking into us pastorally through his word. Okay, so we're going to start with two questions. Um What is this text doing within the context of 1 Samuel and this biblical narrative, as well as the overarching biblical narrative, that meta-narrative, as Josh called it, or the redemptive story arc of the Bible, as Aaron called it? Uh, And then what is it inviting us into in light of those things? So um, one other question. Does anyone remember uh, the themes that Josh told us we would come across in 1 Samuel? Specific themes of the book of 1 Samuel. God opposes the proud and draws near to the humble. The to the humble. Do we see that in this uh, poem at all? Yeah, this poem kind of works if the narrative of First uh, and Second Samuel is a word search. This poem is almost our uh, word bank. It has all the keys to unlocking what the uh, narrative text is going to be saying to us. We can just refer back here and see these themes, see these same themes like we talked about running through the course of the book. Um, yeah, so Hannah's second prayer, this Psalm of Thanksgiving that we talked about, uh, one observation that we named, only verse one is personal and the rest of it is a much bigger picture speaking to the character of God and how he interacts with his people. We see these themes from 1 Samuel that God opposes the proud and draws near to the humble. Um, We also see the foreshadowing of the events of 1 Samuel. We see a lot of these themes from this poem are going to play out in the stories of Eli's sons, of Samuel and Samuel's sons, of Saul, David, and all of the kings of Israel moving forward. Hannah's words um, reflect the brokenness of the world that she lives in, like we talked about that theme there. That, again, she lives, this takes place in the judges era. There is no king yet over Israel. And one of the refrains in the book of Judges is... And Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. She's coming from, as she begins to praise God, she moves into this stance of longing for seeing the brokenness of her world, of the world that we inhabit that still is here, and longing for righteousness, justice, and peace. Longing for a king to come and bring these things about. She begins, as Cody pointed out in verse 10, to prophesy about a coming king who will do these things. And so then we are left with, as we work through First and Second Samuel, this hopeful expectation that a king will get risen up and bring about this peace, this justice, this righteousness that we read about here. But as we continue to move through the story of Samuel, We'll see these promising candidates, these almost messiahs, have promising starts, building up, doing great things, but ultimately falling short of what we're hoping and longing for. We, here in 2022, have the advantage of knowing where this story's headed. We know of the king who does come, uh, we know his name is Jesus. And in his kingdom, the bows of the are mighty are broken, and the feeble bind on strength. Strength in his kingdom, the hungry cease to hunger. He raises up the poor, to, so that they inherit a seat of honor. We see this kingdom breakthrough here sometimes, and we sit in hopeful expectation of the fullness of that kingdom. Still, this poem points forward to 1 Samuel, but it points forward to Jesus, and it points forward further to his return and coming again when all things will be renewed. Uh, Verse 9, here's another another one of my observations for us. Again, things we've already pointed out and looked at. I think the end of verse 9, I think, is the entire were one of the main theological thrusts of this poem and of the book of 1 Samuel, and really is telling to the heart of God and how we relate to him. We've got underlined here, for not by might shall man prevail. We hear these words echoed in Zechariah when he says, not by might, but by spirit. And unfortunately, the kings of Israel <laughs> that come a generation plus later, didn't have the advantage of hearing Hannah's words in this poem, unless maybe it was a worship song like you pointed out, well, then maybe they did know it, and they were just also ignorant in that sense. Um, but all at some all of the kings, all of them at some point saw David, the ones following, place their identity and their hope in their own might, in their own competency in their own arrogance and pride, exactly what this poem is speaking against. Um, So here's something I, over the last week as I was preparing for this sermon, this random quote, it's not super random, but I don't think I had heard it before, has showed up multiple times in my week as I was preparing for this. And so I felt like it was something I needed to share with all of us as it relates to this uh, text. Uh, there's a woman named Joy Dawson, and she says, "Anything not born in prayer is born in pride." And I kid you not, this came up in this or something attached to it came up in two podcasts and two separate books I was reading this week. Um, and in a conversation about this, that anything not born in prayer is born in pride, a guy named Dino Patron. This is a quote from him in one of those podcasts. He said. We want it our way, which is basically the same as posturing yourself as trying to find solutions to problems through life uh, versus using prayer to find solutions. That's the general posture, one of, I'm going to do this and I need to get it done the way that I am envisioning. And that's exactly what we see happen over and over and over with these promising figures that rise to prominence in the story of Israel. The same theme is here in Hannah's Psalm that operating out of pride, making things happen our own way, is exactly the way to not get where the people sitting in this room want to go. We see this theme play out through 1 Samuel, and I hear in this poem an invitation and a warning and wisdom that those who operate out of their own might and pride will not prevail. So, so what? Um, Prayer over pride. I'm just going to say that quote one more time because I think it's good and just want to let it sink in that anything born, not born in prayer, is born out of pride. When we make prayer the cockpit of our lives, the control room out of which the direction of our life is born, that's when we allow, we put prayer over pride, and that's when God is allowed to step in and actually use us for his glory. We're going to land here, and then we're going to get to uh, building some fuel bags, but so we join Jesus, the coming king, the uh, one that we're really hoping for here in First Samuel that we have the privilege to know about and know intimately. We join him in his words and in his prayers. The, his prayer of not my will, but your will be done. May your kingdom come, may your will be done. And we join our sister Hannah in praise and thanksgiving for the promise of the redemption that is coming in full. We join Hannah in saying, my heart exalts in the Lord because I rejoice in your salvation. We join in this praise and worship and expectation together with Hannah and with our Lord Jesus. Um, So we're going to move to communion. Uh, If you're on the center aisle, There is a bowl with communion under every other chair.